0: I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to Awaken180WeightLoss.com. The Dad to Podcast. Because parenting is a complicated
1: profession.
0: Well, hello and welcome to the
1: Dabalorian Podcast. We are on episode 25. It is the quarter-century mark in terms of number of episodes. Huh, how is everybody doing out there this week? I am good. Last week we did not have an episode because, as we uh, discussed, I was making the journey with my wife and two boys down to... My brother-in-law Tim's wedding. So that was exciting. Tim and Alexi, congratulations. They are now hitched and making their way across the country to his job in Pennsylvania that he took. So they are going across the country and driving in a Dodge journey, making a journey in a journey. <laughs> anyway, no, sorry, that was that was a terrible dad thing. I promise not to do that again. Actually, who am I kidding? I'm going to do that again all the time, and nobody's going to stop me, and that's just how it's going to be. So, in any case, uh, yeah, the uh, journey down there that was a lot of fun because we also were taking our uh, journey, as it were, and we were driving down. I don't remember if I told everybody this before we left, but we did a overnight trip. So we left in the early afternoon on Tuesday, drove down as far as Medford, stopped in Medford at dinner time, around nine p.m. Like we stopped at Medford in basically used the in-laws house, which was empty because they were already down in California, but we used the in-laws house as kind of a stopover. We got the boys dressed for bed, let them play around, work some of the energy out because they'd been in the car for four hours, you know, ate dinner, all of that fun stuff. And then as soon as we were done with that, We loaded the boys back up into the car, and we were on the long road down into and through California. And I gotta tell you, after having an experience on the East Coast and, you know, driving an hour gets you through, like, three states, going the entire distance of the West Coast, I don't think East Coasters fully, completely understand what it is for us West Coasters to drive from one state to another because for them, it's like, oh, I can be in five different states over the course of a day. It's not a big deal, you know? Like, if I had made this drive on the East Coast, I could have gotten all the way from Charleston, probably down to somewhere in Florida. In Actually, I probably would have gotten all the way to the tip of Florida, depending on how far down we went. Like, it just depends on how far you go. But you could make it a lot further on the Eastern Seaboard with that amount of drive time than you can on the West Coast. Because we get out of Oregon, which by itself, it takes us about five hours just to get to the border from up in Portland down all the way to California. But then, once we get down there, we have to drive the entire length of the state of California, which, if you look at it on a map, it may not seem like a big deal until you realize that it's really actually a fairly big deal. So, we left Medford about 9.30 in the evening. We made our first stop probably around 11. We were somewhere around Shasta. We stopped at a, um, what are they called? Rest area. We stopped at a rest area as we were coming down into California through the Shasta area, which is beautiful, by the way, nature, you know? Like, I think of Will Ferrell playing Robert Goulet, and he's talking about nature. It's why I come here, kind of thing. And that's all well and good and exciting, but what we kind of figured out very quickly as we were going in there is that we were driving through the wilderness. And the first indication of that is we get out, and you stop at any... Rest area. I don't care how nice the rest area is except for maybe the one in Canyonville because the Canyonville one is actually a fairly nice rest area. I don't mind stopping there. I stop in Canyonville because I want to get gas because I can pump it myself, which, you know, there's the whole myth about Oregonians not knowing how to pump gas. You guys, we know how to pump gas. We just don't get to do it because our state won't let us. So like, and I mean, there are probably people out there who don't know how to pump gas and that's fine. But, like, if there's one thing that I think the most recent little miniature gas crisis on the East Coast has taught us is that even the people who are doing self-service may not necessarily know the best things in the world. Like, pumping gas into shopping bags, guys, one, that is incredibly dangerous. Two, that plastic is flimsy. I don't trust that to hold a gallon of milk, much less five gallons of gas. Three, how are you going to get that into your car? Like, seriously. Like, I want to know. Somebody out there put this into a plastic bag that they got it, like, Kroger or whatever, and is intending to put it into a vehicle later. How? There is no possible way that I can think of that you're going to get that in without dumping it all over the ground. Maybe I'm crazy, but, you know, that's something I don't have to worry about, people in my area going and pumping gas into gas bags. You know Why? because they won't let us do it, and I can't think of any situation in which a a attendant at a gas station is going to be like, well, this seems like a good idea. Like, we have lost people. I don't think that that unapproved station containers, like, they will put it into a gas can, but they're not going to, like, do it into a Tupperware container. Guys, this just, that is just my little rant for the day. Any case, but you stop most anywhere at a a place that you're going to be stopping for using the restroom, like a rest area. And let's be honest, 90% of the time they're pretty sketch. They're especially sketch when it's late at night, and you're just like, okay. My wife goes, she uses the bathroom, she comes back, I go to use the bathroom. She stays with the boys who are asleep out in the back. And as I'm walking up to the men's room area, there is this huge sign that says, Rattlesnakes are active during the night's in the summer well one it's like summer heat right now like i mean i think when we were going down there it was probably 70s 80s you know during the day i don't know what it was at at night but it was still pretty warm when we got out there so there's that i'm already freaked out because i'm using a gas station rest stop and there's all the horror stories and you know there could be an axe murderer waiting there you don't know you know your mind goes wild when you're tired But we wind up, you know, I go around there and there's nothing to really reinforce to me that there's no way that a snake got into the men's room because, first of all, they've got the little, like, privacy shroud that they put around the door. Yeah, that's like two feet off the ground, so a snake can easily wander up out of the wilderness and under that. And then on top of that, because COVID and nobody wants to touch the door handles... They also leave the door standing wide open. And so you walk in there and you don't know if there's a snake in there. I'm like looking under everything that I can see, hoping and praying that there is not a snake there because I don't want to have to hold it in until the next rest stop because it's probably another 80 miles down the road and I really had to pee. So, uh, yeah, there were no snakes, thankfully. I did not encounter any of those because I would have freaked out. Like, I would have been straight up Indiana Jones. Why did it have to be snakes? And that's just who I am, let's be honest. So uh, I don't deal well with spiders. So a snake, especially a poisonous snake, because we don't have poisonous snakes up here in Oregon where we're at. I think Oregon has maybe four poisonous things across the entire state. And when I say poisonous, I mean venomous. You know the semantics behind it. Regardless, it was definitely not my favorite place in the world to have to stop to use the restroom. So we got done with that. We stopped at, I think, mostly truck stops the rest of the way down. There was one Chevron that we stopped at that was, I think, in Fresno, that that was, you know, middle of the night and it you just had to go and use the bathroom. So we stopped in there and that was fun because uh, that was, I think, of all of the places we stopped, it was probably the most sketchy. I go in, use the bathroom, come back out. My wife goes in to use the bathroom. While we are sitting there, dude rolls up on a bicycle with a giant knife strapped to his hip because that's totally normal, and I am all for the right to bear arms, but there's something really sketchy when you're running around an urban area with a Bowie knife. Like, this isn't the apocalypse. I don't necessarily think there was any reason that he needed to be carrying a knife that big, but, you know... It wasn't Crocodile Dundee. We'll just put it that way. So uh, I've never been sitting in the car with my hand on my own knife before, but I was doing that just in case we got out of there. It wasn't a big deal, but you know, you get a little bit nervous. I think it's part of it's just being tired and when you're (laughs) driving the whole night We stopped I think it was around Bakersfield was kind of our last stop before we got to Lancaster and Bakersfield like the sun was coming up, the boys were starting to wake up, and at that point, Amanda and I were both starting to kind of burn out on it. We'd been up, I think it was probably around 8 a.m. that we rolled through there. We made a stop at a truck stop. And again, truck stops are one of those things, you know, they're fascinating to me because they're such a unique thing to kind of run across out in the middle of nowhere. And they're generally fairly recently cleaned. Like, you know, if you go to the right truck stops, they're really fairly clean. You can get whatever you need there at the convenience store. They've got a little restaurants, all that sort of thing. Like they really, I mean, they cater to truck drivers, but they're actually not terrible. So it was interesting to just go in there, but we wound up going through getting all of our stuff and then going from there. And we probably were registering in about 25 miles to the gallon most of the way down there. It wasn't until we got to Lancaster or get closer to Lancaster, I should say that we started getting into the hilly areas and going up and around and that uh, by the end of the trip I think we'd averaged about 21 miles to the gallon 21 and a half somewhere in there so like my wife's car was making a pretty good work of it but the time we rolled in was about 9:30 in the morning we get out hand the boys off to Nana and Pappy unloaded the car and said we're going to bed we'll see y'all later and I mean basically Amanda and I just went straight to bed and slept for about four hours and got back up and went about our day and you know it was just enough sleep that we could feel rested enough to get on with things but it was not so much sleep that we wound up feeling like we were going to run into issues sleeping later so that was kind of the fun and exciting times of the drive down we get down there and get to spend some time with Tim and Lexi and I have to say like I love my brother-in-law. I've always loved my brother-in-law, but I feel a special connection to my sister-in-law because she is now only the second person to marry into this family. And so, like, we're both kind of the not necessarily outsiders because we're part of the family but you know we didn't grow up in the family and so we kind of have that special connection because we're both coming at it from the outside of the family and so but I gave her so much crap over the course of the week and she just you know she doesn't take any of it which is I think what makes it fun for me too like she's probably like great here we go again but like for example heading into the wedding I was under the impression that I was going to be able to wear cargo shorts, not cargo shorts. I, that would be ridiculous because this is not the type of wedding you would wear a cargo shorts at. But I was thinking I was going to be wearing my cargo pants, my khakis, you know. My thought process being I can stash stuff to keep the boys occupied without having to, you know, have something bulky there with us at the front of the place. You know, the boys are going to be, obviously the boys and going to be easily distracted and I don't know how they're going to handle this, that sort of thing. And uh, my wife was like, "Uh, no, but if Lexi says it's okay, fine. So I messaged them in our group chat, and Tim's like, I don't care. And Lexi's like, I'm going to be extra on this and say no. And I I joked, gave her some junk about it right there. I'm like, I don't even have any pants that fit. I've been living in shorts and t-shirts for the last year. What on earth are you doing to me kind of thing? So then I wound up going and buying new pants that did not have cargo pants or cargo pockets. Which was fine. You know, I needed new pants anyway. And now I have a pair of pants that I can wear that look actually fairly nice from Duluth Trading Company. But, you know, I'm snapping pictures of me. I'm like, there, are you happy? And all of that. And then we get down there. And I mean, I was giving her junk about this all the way up to before she walked down the aisle. Because at one point before the ceremony, I'm out there with the boys who are going to be the ring bearers. And. One of her bridesmaids is trying to figure out what to do with her phone. I'm like, well, you know, if I'd been allowed to wear cargo pants, I could stash everybody's phones in my pockets. And she's like, oh, I can't deal with this right now. (laughs) So, you know, I, I, I gave her junk about it. And that was just kind of kind of how I was handling the situation. So it was it was fun. We get to the moment of truth. The boys during the rehearsal, they did great. The first time through, Alton and Austin carried their rings down and dutifully handed them off to the people that needed to get them. The second time through, they flanked the flower girl, and she was the older of the three, so she kind of got to be the guiding light for them to make sure everybody got to where they needed to be. Day of. Boys are all dressed up. The problem that I think we ran into is we were too close to Austin's nap time because he was not having any of it. I tried to keep him occupied and not fussy. We went into an elevator, which honestly was a terrible idea to just because of the fact that that was the moment that I found out apparently Austin is afraid of elevators. As soon as it started moving, he started crying, and I'm like, what have I done? I've messed this up. Great. So we wind up going ahead and getting ready, and it's to the point where they're about to go. Alton and Austin have their ring boxes, and I'm trying to get them lined up with the flower girl, and I'm like, okay, buddy, it's time to go, and you, you can hear it on the recording. You hear, No! And, uh, yeah, that was Austin basically saying he was not going to be doing this performative work. He is an independent mind, and he cannot be told what to do. That's how I'm taking it at this point. I look back at Lexi. She's like, Andrew, it's okay. I'm like, all right, take the ring box from him, handed it off to the flower girl, who now got to do double duty, and sent them on their way. I took Austin, kept him occupied, and tried not to upstage Lexi as she was coming down the aisle by sneaking in from another side. So, yeah, that was, that was going about as well as could be expected, I suppose. It's one of those things, you gotta figure, when you've got one ring bearer, it's one thing, when you've got two ring bearers, it's a whole new set of potential difficulties, and particularly when one of them is not even two yet. (sighs) Let's be honest, little kids have minds of their own, so, it was still a lot of fun, they really got, enjoyed getting to spend time with their nana and pappy, and their uncles, and their new aunt, and all of that, so, It was definitely an experience. Then I joke that for Mother's Day, I gave my wife the gift of a quiet car and I gave Nana the gift of time with her grandsons, which is to say that we pawned the boys off on Nana and Pappy for the drive from Lancaster up to Medford. So Sunday morning at 8 a.m., we rolled out, got on our way. It was actually kind of funny because we get on our way and wound up getting ahead of them because we went separate directions I don't know what direction that Tom and Nancy took getting out of Lancaster but I really wanted Dunkin'. and honestly Dunkin' Donuts is in terms of chain coffees is probably my second favorite in any particular order of chain coffees like Dutch Brothers is obviously a special place in my heart being an Oregon company but after that Dunkin'. and we don't have Duncan up here so it's one of those things that it's like well I'm going to get it while I'm here. I actually wound up earning two free drinks while I was gone. Gave one of those free drinks away because I earned it on the last day and there were literally no Dunkins that I could stop at on the way up from Lancaster to burn that last thing. So I did it as a giveaway on my Hesitant Handyman profile and somebody gladly took it and so they got free coffee now. But... We stopped at Duncan and then the way that we wound up getting back on the road, like we wound up driving through this giant wind farm, which was impressive because I've never been through a wind farm and gotten to see them up that close and you realize those wind turbines are pretty big and the wind out there was enough that I can totally understand why you would put a wind farm out there. So we drove out, we wound up getting ahead of Nana and Pappy somehow, I'm not sure what route they took versus what route we took, but we actually got onto the highway ahead of them and then... You know get on ahead of them. It turns out my wife and I are both Exceptionally fast drivers on California highways, and I think we were probably running about 80 85 most of the trip And there was not really any problem with that I mean you had people flooring it past you at like 90 so like California drivers have that reputation And it's why we Oregonians who have the Californian transplants to deal with hate the California drivers But it is ultimately when you're in Rome do as the Romans do So we had a really tragic little moment where driving through the Mojave Desert on the way to the first stop that we made on the way back, which was Fresno. uh, Long story short, we hit a small bird. My wife hit the small bird. I just freaked out over it because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I think you hit that bird. But we couldn't tell that we'd hit the bird until we got to Fresno and I got out of the car. And I didn't even look at first, but my father-in-law pointed out, you've got a bird stuck to the underside of your hood. And we'd stopped at a in and out, one, to go ahead and just use the restrooms, but two, to grab kind of a snack to hold us over until we got to Sacramento, which was going to be our lunch, and so, Huh, yeah, so we hit a bird, and it was lodged underneath, like, between the hood and the fender, and I'm like, great, I gotta take care of that and so I go and it was this beautiful little yellow bird I don't know what kind it was it was small like it wasn't like a canary but it it looked along those lines it was just a beautiful little yellow bird from the Mojave Desert that got itself lodged in there and it was definitely dead by the time we got to Fresno but we wound up getting there and I go with the paper bag from my fries and go over to take it off of the thing well I'm thinking, well, I'll just slide it off. Not thinking about the fact that, you know, this thing has been with you for over a hundred miles. It's probably not just going to slide off easily, and it didn't. So, oh, I wound up popping the hood, bringing it up, thinking it'll just fall off. It's lodged onto something. Once I take it off, yeah, no, no, it was literally stuck to the hood. It was a little bit horrifying. So I had to take it and basically scrape it off with the paper bag and then stick it in the paper bag and toss it in the trash. And, like, it was just one of those things, like, I'm like, I feel
0: terrible for this little birdie,
1: and that was just how the day went. So we wound up going up to Sacramento, we stopped for lunch, we were planning to do Chili's, but it turns out Chili's could not seat a party of seven. And the amount of time it was going to take to seat a party of seven across two seats was going to be a couple of hours. And we really wanted to get home to Medford. So uh, that did not happen. I did not get to use the old office. I feel God in moving in this Chili's Tonight joke. Like, it was just absolutely, like, not happening. So uh, we wound up having Chipotle and then driving the rest of the way back to Medford. I think Amanda and I stopped one other spot on the uh, southern side of the California-Oregon border at another truck stop, went in, got something to drink, got a few more snacks, and we drove the rest of the way into Oregon. Got into Medford. We stayed the night down in Medford, and then the next morning we left with the boys for the rest of the trip on Monday. Got everybody home safely, and yeah, it was it was good time. So, uh, Tim and Lexi got to spend their uh, weekend, or not a weekend. It was their uh, honeymoon in san diego spend some time down there and then they are currently driving across the united states as i'm recording this for the second time they are currently in texas i believe and kind of making their way over to pennsylvania and so yeah that'll be exciting for them to kind of get on with their new life completely new location for both of them because they're both from the west coast lexi's from california and tim is obviously from oregon so uh Yeah, it'll be fun for them. Uh, It was a fun trip for us. It was definitely a lot of driving and that is one of those things Amanda said, I'm not doing that again. It really kind of drove home the point that uh, if we get to the point where we have a travel trailer, we don't have to make those long drives. Like, you can just pull off at a rest area, take a nap for a little bit, get up and then go on your way. Like, obviously there is no reason that we would have had to make that entire long drive if we'd wanted to just stop somewhere. We could have. But, uh, Regardless, that was our fun trip for the week. So we're going to go ahead and take our first break. When we come back, we are going to talk a little bit about the new Bad Batch episode. Actually, just the Bad Batch in general. I don't think we've really gotten a chance to have a really good look at it, but it is something we're definitely enjoying the series so far. And then also talk about the Mighty Ducks Game Changers. Also going to talk a little bit about books and audiobooks. More specifically, Thrawn... Ascendancy, the second book in that trilogy, which is titled Greater Good, came and I did get to finish that while we were on vacation. I also have gotten into Heir to the Empire audiobook, so we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Stay tuned.
0: In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's a there's a time frame there.
1: And we are back. Thank you again so much for tuning in to the Dad DeLorean podcast. On this week's episode of what we're streaming, what we're watching, and actually even what we're reading, we're going to start out with the Bad Batch. So for those of you who are not familiar with the Bad Batch, it is kind of a spinoff of the Clone Wars. The Bad Batch was introduced during the first segment of the last season of Clone Wars, and it's basically like the A-team of clones. They're all different with enhanced abilities, but it's definitely something that is different from your reg clones, as they call them. So, the first two episodes I really enjoyed. The third episode, definitely, it's providing a very unique look because you're going from basically Order 66. You started out the season with just Order 66 being executed and the Bad Batch being around that, not really knowing what's going on because their inhibitor chips are not the same as the regs and may be defective and not necessarily working. But you get a nice little cameo from Caleb Dune, a.k.a. Uh, Kanan Jarrus from Rebels, as a Padawan. And so that was a really cool kind of thing to see in that. But then you're going in and you're kind of seeing that transition from the Galactic or Republic to the Galactic Empire. And how that is affecting things. You get to find out why the Stormtroopers are not Clone Troopers and kind of... Getting to see that transition. The third episode really brings that one to home. And it's going to be very interesting to see how they handle it. I kind of, I'm noticing a theme with the Star Wars properties that I'm hoping is not like a recurring theme, but you look at The Mandalorian and you've got basically this warrior taking in a child and going across the galaxy having adventures, basically. And then you've got the Bad Batch, which is basically if you were to take the Mandalorian and take three men and a baby and merge the two, you're basically looking at that. And it's a very interesting way to play it. I just hope that this isn't going to be a recurring, hey, let's take every Star Wars series and make it about some warrior taking in a child and all of that. Like, if Andor shows up and he's taking in a kid that he doesn't know anything about and going across the galaxy with him, like, I'm done. I'm out. You guys have run out of ideas now. But I, I really, don't get me wrong, I really enjoy where we are going so far with the Bad Batch, and I want to see how this plays out. Additionally, this week, Mighty Ducks Game Changers. It's been fun, because getting to see this, you're kind of seeing Alex, who kind of emerges as the antithesis of the Mighty Ducks feel at this point, because at this point, the Ducks are the powerhouse, which is what the Falcons were in the original, and excuse me, at that point, like, she starts the team to be all about having fun, but then the kids start winning games, and it's no longer about the fun. She starts talking with a couple of the parents who have come to the team who were former Duck parents as well, and they start all getting in on the, hey, we're all in to win this sort of thing, and the episode ends with Evan coming to the realization, I've got to fire my mom as coach. You kind of get the idea that It was always going to be set up for Gordon Bombay to come back to coaching by the end of this season, and now you get the realization on how that's going to happen, because at this point, Alex is taking everything too seriously. She's gotten under her boss's skin, and her boss feels threatened by her, and so it's exciting for her because she's kind of been in the background of her boss's stuff all of this time, and so for the Don't Bothers to become a problem for her makes her really happy. But she's getting to the point where she's driving the kids like the coach from the Ducks would have been driving them, and that is bothering everybody because that's not what they signed up for. So it's going to be interesting as we go into next week. They're heading to the state tournament, which the Ducks are also in, and it will just be a really fantastic time to kind of get to see how they're going to handle all of this. Also, just a shout out to the one kid whose name I can't remember, but he's the one with all of the nice hockey gear that doesn't know how to use any of them for Coach Bombay finally finding a way for him to get involved with the team because he was the only one who had not scored going into the last game of their season, and they wound up giving him his opportunity. And so that was a really cool thing. I think he's kind of now become the crazy puck handler that Dwayne was in Mighty Ducks 2. So we'll see how it all plays out. It's going to be a lot of fun going on through here. We still got a few episodes left of that, and that will be exciting. So. Then as far as outside of streaming, books. I did get to read Thrawn Greater Good, which that is an excitement for me just because I've always loved the character of Grand Admiral Thrawn. I knew of him all the way back with Heir to the Empire trilogy. And so when they brought him in in Rebels, I was excited. When they had the name drop by Ahsoka during The Mandalorian about Thrawn, where is he? Like, it's all stuff that I'm really excited to kind of see them develop the character more. And the books have actually been a really good outlet for it. I initially, when Disney took over and made everything Legends, and then started bringing in a new canon and bringing in new authors, I was really put off by that. It didn't help that the first book that I read was Aftermath, which was written terribly, and I will go to my grave saying that the author of that book did more to sour me on Star Wars, I think, than anything that Disney has done to date. And I mean, that's saying a lot because, you know, people didn't necessarily like the direction that the pre- sequel trilogy went. And I get that. I enjoyed parts of it. There were other parts that I'm like, Ugh, really? And parts of it just didn't feel completely fleshed out. And so kind of getting to go around and see what would have been like, that was just one of those things. I would have been interested to see how they changed the process if Princess Leia had been available to actually shoot more scenes instead of having to rehash stuff that she'd already shot. Regardless, they didn't have the same creative freedom that they did because of the loss of Carrie Fisher, and so I feel like we would have had a different movie had she been available still. But all that said, like Chuck Wendig, his prose just rattled me to my core because everything was in present tense. I read through the first book and swore I was not going to read the other books, and I put off for a really long time. I did not pay for hardbacks for those. I did actually wait until I could get them on the cheap on digital download, and then I read them that way. And I was happy with myself because it gave more setup for the movies, but at the same time, it was not a series that I would say I enjoyed reading. Now, counter that to bringing back Timothy Zahn and his knowledge and expertise on Thrawn and having him do more development of that character, whether it be during the empire years where we got out of the first trilogy or getting to look at his previous history with the Chiss ascendancy and going through that in this current trilogy, regardless, like he's a fascinating character because he's not, you're just let's put everybody under our thumb and crush them kind of person. Like he wants to understand the cultures that he is engaged with. And Seeing more of that character for me is fantastic and kind of seeing how they address things with him. And I'm excited for the third book to come back. But coming into this series kind of made me go, okay, I really want to go back and remember what he was like in the Air to the Empire trilogy. And so I actually had some free audiobook credits, and I decided to go ahead, I'm gonna go through and use them on the Air to the Empire trilogy. And I'm almost done with book one in that series, and Very early on, I was reminded of something, and I don't want to get anybody's hopes up, most specifically mine, but the Heir to the Empire trilogy is set a mere five years after the destruction of the Death Star at Endor. The Mandalorian is set five years after the destruction of the second Death Star at Endor. We've now gotten a Thrawn name drop out of Ahsoka during the Mandalorian timeline, Nobody knows where Thrawn is at this point, and in the book, he has actually been out on the frontier in the Unknown Regions, which theoretically is where Ezra wound up taking them when they finished the series of Rebels, theoretically. So, there's three, what is it now, three or four different series in the Mandalorian timeline at this point? And they're allegedly going to be building up to a big crossover event, which, dare I hope, will be, hopefully, fingers crossed, the Heir to the Empire adaptation. They obviously can't do everything exactly the same. For one, you can't put um, Carrie Fisher in as Leia. More specifically, you can't have her having twins because the twins don't exist in Disney's timeline. That's fine. You make changes. You do you. But the other thing that got my thinking going, though, is Luke is the one that comes to save Grogu in the end of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. And I started thinking about it, and I remembered, all of a sudden, there was a clone of Luke during the Heir to the Empire trilogy. How do we know that the Luke that picked up Grogu was the same Luke that you know, was off with Leia and doing all the adventures, or was that the clone? Now, I know you can go to the lightsaber color and say, well, it's a green lightsaber, and the clone Luke used a blue lightsaber. I, I get it. You can go that route. I'm just saying, it's entirely possible that was a clone, in which case we've got a reason for Grogu to be saved from Luke. I'm not going to push that theory too hard because I'm sure there's probably somebody out there on the internet already doing that and being like, this is what Disney's going to do. And I don't know that I've got no inside knowledge of anything. What I can tell you is I'm excited to see what they do with it. So that is that. All right. We're going to take our last break. When we come back, we are going to be discussing this week's question of the week. Stay tuned.
0: In business, you rarely hear the expression for life.
1: And we're back. Thanks again so much for tuning into the Dad DeLorean podcast. I hope that you guys are just having a fantastic day. Um, we, our poddex question of the week this week, what book belongs in everyone's bookshelf? And quite frankly, I'm just going to come out and say it like I'm going from a fictional standpoint here. I'm going to have to go with Heir to the Empire, the trilogy specifically. I know that's three books and that's technically lying, but I think it's something where it was one of the best written of the Star Wars books that was out there. Timothy Zahn did masterfully in developing different lore and things that we are still seeing in the series today, even if it's still being pulled out of obscurity in some senses. because they made everything Legends, but it was, honestly, I think that was one of the things that kept Star Wars alive was the Heir to the Empire trilogy. And just the books that they put out when they didn't have movies, because we didn't know when we were going to get Star Wars movies back then, you know, the Star Wars books were about all we had for a long time. And that was something that I think Timothy Zahn was a big part of that. I think that's why Disney finally came to their senses and brought him in to do more stuff on Thrawn, because I think there was a whole lot of storytelling and creativity that could be used there that they hadn't tapped into yet. So for me, I think the Heir to the Empire trilogy has to be it. Even if it's Legends, I don't care. It was still a fantastically written series. So, all right, that's it for this week. Hope you guys are having a great week. Whatever you're doing, I hope you're crushing it. We'll see you next week. And remember, parenting is a complicated profession. Stay safe out there, my friends. Take care.